Hi, mummers, and welcome to episode one in our Pelvic Power podcast series. Today, we're talking all about your vulva and your pelvic anatomy and getting to know it better. Enjoy. Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. It's pregnancy with physiolora. Hello, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physiolora podcast. Today is the start of a new series. Now, this is a mutual love between me and the presenter, B. We both love talking about pelvises. And I was so excited to get her on because I wanted to talk about everything to do with the pelvic floor, the pelvic bowl, the anatomy, the things we don't often get taught about in school and when we're growing up and is often new to us as adults. So I'm so excited to have B, who's also known as Bernadette Lack. She is from Core Floor Restore. You may have heard of her before. She is an epic human and she is jumping on to talk all about pelvises. So I'm so excited. This is a three-part series and we're going to be discussing everything to do with your vulva and your anatomy today. In our second episode, we're going to be talking about movement of the pelvis and how we should stop sitting and all the different weird and wonderful positions we can move in. And then in our third episode, we're going to be talking specifically about the pelvic floor and whether or not strength is the be all and end all. So definitely subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so that you do not miss any of these upcoming episodes. They are going to be brilliant. Now, B is a midwife, a personal trainer. She is a mama of two boys and she runs some amazing, amazing resources and workshops and courses and whatnot over on her platform. She has an amazing online platform. So you can go check her out on Instagram at Core and Floor Restore. I'll put all this in the show notes and check out her amazing resources. She does birth debriefs and birth preparation chats and yeah, runs epic information for women with prolapse and whatnot. So definitely go check out all of her amazing resources. Now, in today's chat, we talk about what the difference is between your vulva and vagina and no shame if you have been getting the two confused. I still have to catch myself saying vagina when I really mean vulva. So we are, this is a judgment-free zone. We are just trying to really educate as many women as possible on your anatomy. So come into this with open mind and really hear what we're saying. Don't come in with any judgment that you had it wrong in the first place. That is not a you problem. That is a systemic problem. We also talk about the story and understanding that you have around your female anatomy and maybe what influences you had growing up that told you how to feel and think about your own anatomy. We talk about the anatomy specifically of the vulva, the ins and outs of the labia, the clitoris, all of that. We also talk about the anatomy of the clitoris and all of the misconceptions around how the clitoris functions and how it looks and what shape it is. We talk about the misconceptions around a tight vagina and how anatomically this does not add up to what we think that's really fascinating and we also talk about connecting back with our womb and our organs it sounds super woo woo but as you'll hear in the chat I did this in a workshop of bees recently and I had some really interesting feedback from my own womb again continue listening because you'll understand what I'm saying but this was a really really great chat all about getting to know the ins and outs of our pelvises I would so love to hear from you once you've listened to this over at Physio Laura please let me know what you got out of this conversation I want to know whether you grew up understanding your anatomy really well or whether this is something like myself and be that you came to in adulthood because I know that that's really common for a lot of women I'd love to hear where you're at in your journey of understanding yourself and your body and your anatomy I know 
So many of us are passionate about changing this for the generation behind us, for our daughters, making sure that they grow up with a really good understanding of their own body. So yeah, come and chat to me over at Physio Laura. Let me know what you thought about this series. And as always, if you want to connect with me, if you want to get in touch with your own body, if you want to move your body, we know how important movement is. You can find me inside my online pregnancy membership program, The Pregnancy Posse. You can trial the program for seven days if you want to get a taste tester for it. We have weekly workouts for every stage of pregnancy. We have pelvic floor exercises. We have preparing for birth resources, how to manage pelvic pain, yoga, meditation, an amazing community forum. And that is the only place where you can ask me all of your questions where I will 100% be able to answer them. So if you're looking for some really amazing support, Throughout this you know, period of time in your pregnancy, please, I encourage you to come on over and check me out at thepregnancyposse.com. Now, without further ado, let's jump into this epic chat with B from Core and Flora Store chatting all about getting to know your vulva. Enjoy. Okay, welcome to the podcast, B. I am so pumped to have you here. I feel like you've been on my hit list for a while and then I finally met you in person a couple of weeks ago and now we're best friends really. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I think a lot of my listeners are really excited to hear from you. Aw, thanks for having me. It's a huge honor to be asked by you to be here. So thanks for sending me and thanks to everyone listening. Yeah, it's going to be a great chat because we're talking about pelvises today and everything to do with the ins and the outs of the pelvises, which is obviously a mutual passion for both of us. It's something that we both love talking about. You're playing with a clitoris model as we speak. So it's just <laughs> for anyone watching, Bee's just hugging her clitoris to her cheek right now. So we want to talk about the pelvis because in the work that we do, pregnancy, birth and beyond, the pelvis is such a key player in all of this. And I wanted to start, B with understanding our anatomy because so many women come to me with really poor literacy when it comes to their anatomy and understanding where all the bits and bobs are and how everything functions together and they can be quite embarrassed or afraid to ask questions because it's sometimes assumed knowledge but I don't know about you I don't actually know where I learned about the anatomy until I got to uni so for the average person who hasn't studied physiotherapy or midwifery I just don't think we get a really good understanding of the pelvis. So I want you to speak to why it's so important for us to understand our anatomy for birth. And maybe if you do have the model there, you can talk us through what the key players are, like what you think women should be aware of and should have knowledge about in the lead up to pregnancy, birth and beyond. I think, you know, what you raised is a really good point about the fact that we learn about it in uni. But I want to add to that for those that are listening that may not, may have big feelings around the fact that they don't know their space externally and internally very well. I got to uni at like 22 years of age and had no idea that we had three holes. Like I miss that day in year nine PE, like where we learn about the urethra. Like I, I don't know how that happened, but it did. And then I, I had been a midwife for like, 10 years before I started using the word vulva, like most of the maternity language still, still uses the word vagina to cover the whole area of the vulva. And then the clitoris itself, the real size and shape of the clitoris was only discovered by an Australian urologist, Hel Helen O'Connell in 2005. So we've only had that knowledge for 17 years. Previous to that, it was left out of textbooks. It was considered a it was often drawn as like a flat item. And I mean, there's nothing flat about it. 
And there was a study that just came out that shows we used to think that there was 8,000 nerve endings in at the under the clitoral hood. And now we're starting to understand that there's 10. But this is the clitoris is my biggest passion in the birth space because I just think we have no knowledge. So I still think that there is so much that we don't understand about this space. And a lot of what I talk about may um, not always be evidence-based or proven yet. And a lot of what I think it's a lot of my thoughts around the pelvis as well and other people's thinking and other people are doing research in this space, but even just seeing and people working in this space, even seeing a pelvic floor physio. When I was in Melbourne, I think there was like three to choose from like six years ago, like private physiotherapy wasn't really a thing, but, and I mean, it's gaining traction now. It's definitely, we're talking about on Instagram, people were seeing it, more people working privately and it's more accessible, but I just want to give that like whole picture approach as to why we don't understand this space and also it's a lot of our upbringing and the messages that people with a vulva generally receive as children like for people with penises it's often socially accepted that they're acquainted with their anatomy and maybe that their anatomy comes out on a sports field when they're running across streaking but typically women or people with a vulva haven't we haven't it's not been as comfortable com- or as accepted socially to be so familiar with our anatomy to look at it to touch it to get it out like that's not what we did at sleepovers when I was 13 but I know talking to my husband it's like yeah we've seen each other's penises it's like oh I haven't seen my friend clitoris ever like we might like in the sports change room but it's very discreet we're very much as girls and young women there's a lot of shame around our bodies and hiding it. So I think this is a really big cultural thing. And I think we're getting a lot better at it. But I just want to put that out there. If you don't know your body, I really want to invite you to look at the story as to why you don't know it. Is it just because it hasn't, you've never thought about it before? Is it that there's never been conversations between you and your mother growing up or your parents or your friends? I always say good friends check on each other's anuses and people laugh at that. But it's that's the real postpartum what I would love to see is more talk around we care when someone has a baby we're like oh what was the baby's weight like why what why do we care about the weight what does it prove how about how's your perineum or how's your belly and how's your womb feeling how's your anus feeling how's your body feeling after that and then the mind obviously but it's like oh what was the weight like do we give it a score if it's a certain weight like it's not a fifth like we don't have to do a weigh-in, but we're so heavily focused on that and the baby. Whereas, how's your anatomy feeling? How's your vulva feeling? So for those that women, don't... I've asked someone after birth. I always ask about their perineum, and like for those who are maybe nervous to ask, it is never been received poorly. In fact, it's like this relief when I ask people they're like oh I can talk about this I can tell you that it's a bit heavy or I've actually been wetting myself or this has happened and I actually see like a relief wash over them and I don't know whether it's because I have the physio title that I get a bit of permission to come in but I do think that women are wanting to share this with others and wanting to know have you had this is this normal should I see someone but if the conversation's not had because we're asking about all the other things like you said then those conversations stay within. And I think it's so important to, like you said, check on each other's anuses. I love that. I think that's a really strong message. Yeah. And I don't see the stigma around it because, like, I don't own that. I talk openly about my prolapse. I talk openly about wetting myself. I definitely felt that. I mean, I hid my dirty little secret of wetting myself. 
for 12 years, like my, we were married for six or seven and my husband had no idea that I went myself until he walked in one day and I did in front of him. And I still don't think he probably knows the extent of it because I've shared so much openly, publicly and with women. But when you tell a woman your story, what you do is you give permission for her to tell hers. And women often feel the need to have that permission mm. to speak it because there, there is the stigma that it's dirty and it's gross or people will think less of you. I don't, I mean, I, my pages in, in my community, I feel like as that has broken down in that space, but I understand that it's still very much socially there. But yeah, you're right. Mm. Women often just want the space to be heard and to be able to ask the questions. And so often we suffer in silence. And that is the most heartbreaking thing because I never want to normal, normalize these issues because when we normalize them, what we say is nothing can be done about them. And that's not the truth. I want mm. to, people to know though that they are very common. They are much more common. Like one in 10 women leak feces, right? That's, you've got to, I'm sure everyone listening to this has nine friends with a vulva and an anus or nine friends that have had babies, you and them, that's one of you in that. Um, and how many friends do you know like feces? How many of them have you asked? Like we just don't talk about it. And to suffer with these issues is one thing, but to do it in silence is another. And so we're breaking down the stigma around this and yeah, checking in on each other's perineums and anus is one of the greatest things we could do. And it's so interesting. I have a lot of really loyal followers that I have an online store and they'll buy things for their friends that have had babies and they're like, I buy things that I wanted, like the ice, the perineal ice and heat pack and the nice pads rather than the baby yeah. clothes. And I really yeah. think we need to shift because this postpartum space, especially, I mean, it's pregnancy too, but the postpartum space really isn't held by anyone. And culturally, we have stripped away so much knowledge and ceremony and ritual through losing the ceremony and ritual around all of women's health. So from bleeding to pregnancy to birth to postpartum, when we lost all the ceremony and, and, and practices that culturally we have had for probably 60,000 years, we, we've lost the knowledge, but we've also lost the space to talk about it. And that's why yeah. like women's circles and things like that can be so important to bring that back, especially during motherhood. But I would really love to see it for young girls bleeding and then as they 100%. continue to move into womanhood and reproductive experiences. hundred percent. I think there's a real, again, it could just be the circles I roam in, but our daughters are very much going to have a very different understanding of their bodies and their anatomy growing up and celebration of their cycles and things like that. And that's a topic for a whole other day. But I was feeling a budding business idea coming through when you were saying that. I feel like we should get like hallmark greeting cards, which say things like, how's your perineum and how's your anus instead of congrats on the new baby with like a pram and a blue and a pink. And I feel like there's a real scope for any creatives out there to make some really quirky arrival of the baby cards. Uh, but I digress. I want to talk about I the clitoris. So Yes. <laughs> I was like, I could do that. That's been on my agenda for a couple of years, but let's talk about the anatomy. So the vulva is all the way from your mons pubis. So if you don't know what the mons pubis is, it's that meaty part that covers your pubic bone, right? So it's all the way from the mons pubis to the perineum. So if you're watching, this is your anus. Okay. So it looks, it's the sexiest anus you'll ever see. It is a good anus. Mm, good. Good. <laughs> 
It doesn't include your penis, and that's because people with penises have anus too. So the vulva is from the mons pubis down to the perineum. And so we have the labia majora and minora. And I just want to say here, Laura, your face and I, my face is very different. Your vulva and my vulva will look different. I think we have these preconceived ideas around what a vulva should look like. And typically, because we didn't get our vulvas out at sleepovers as much as maybe penis holders did, that we have very a huge misconception around what vulvas look like. And so typically, if we've seen vulvas, it may have been in porn. And I was talking about this the other day and an amazing midwife that came to one of my workshops in Melbourne was telling me this, and so I haven't fact-checked it, that the classifications with porn are different between hard porn and soft porn. And so what she was saying was that with soft porn, you're, you're not able to see the labia minora, whereas with hard porn, you are. And so with hard porn, you're, you, we typically see vulvas that have undergone plastic surgery and are the perfect vulva, and I'm doing quotation marks there. And so what it, what we're led to believe is the perfect vulva is where it meets perfectly. And so you just have one straight line and nothing hangs out. And that is not common. All our vulvas look differently. So some people will have labia majoras that are longer. Other people will have labia minoras. So they're the inside lips that are closest to the introitus, which is the vaginal opening, and they'll be longer. So if you have concerns about your vulva, one of the most incredible resources is called Flip Flip through my flaps by comfortable in my skin. And she has yeah. done these amazing pictures of vulvas standing and then laying down. And you look at that and you go, oh yeah, everyone's vulva is different. There is no vulva that's the same, just like there's no face that's the same. So please have a look at that research resource. It's really incredible. And so we have under the mons pubis, we have the clitoral foot. And this is typically what has thought to have been the clitoris for a long time. And this is where the nerve endings are. And people are starting to think the nerve endings have extended throughout the erectile tissue in the clitoris. But typically people only really know about their clitoris being here. In actual fact, the clitoris is this big. So if you're watching, this is a life-size version of the clitoris and you can see how big it is. And so when, and this is going to be a bit gendered here, but as we're an embryo, the cells either develop into the clitoris or they develop into the penis. So that wasn't gendered. I did that. Okay. It's hard sometimes to get everything right, but the intention is there. And you can see that the clitoris and the penis are quite similar in their components. And so this is all the erectile tissue. And so it sits behind our labia. And so this is why we get hard. And it's so commonly known that penises get hard, but it's not very often talked about that vulvas get hard. And so that's what's happening when you look down and your vulva has engorged and feels different. It feels harder and really quite spongy it, because the erectile tissue of the clitoris has expanded and grown. And so We've had, it's quite commonly known that penis is erect and get hard, but we often don't hear about vulvas getting hard. And so the reason vulvas get hard is because the clitoris sits behind the labia. And so all of this erectile tissue expands during sexual excitement. And that's why when we feel down, we can feel all these parts get spongier and firmer and hard. And if you look at your vulva, it will expand and open like a beautiful flower, really. It's that flower blossoming and opening up. I know that's getting a bit harder. It does. It looks like a flower opening. So there's been research now into episiotomy on people that have had one and then died. So on carnivores. And what noticed several things that happen with episiotomy and several tissues getting cut into, but typically the erectile tissue, the 
clitoris in a medial lateral episiotomy will be cut into. Whereas often that doesn't happen with tearing because we tear down and away. So we do tear more towards the anus or internally. And so this space is typically protected. And so that research came out in 2021. So we now are starting to understand this space a lot more. And then the perineum is the skin between the vagina opening and the anus. And so then we have the internal space, which again is really not understood very well. So typically, and I mean, I'm really guilty of this and I've worked with vaginas and I have the privilege of working with vaginas for 15 years, that as a midwife, we enter a vagina in a very kind of phallic way. And most, um, most tools and instruments that we insert into the vagina are often quite phallic as well. So there's this idea that the vagina is almost like penis shaped, right? And so I've got a model of it here. And this is what we what we we often see when we go and see a physio or a GP or a gynae. We see these type of models of what our vagina looks like. The truth is the vagina is an epic structure that is capable of holding many different shapes. And so as a midwife, we would insert our fingers into the vagina to assess the cervix and come back out again. If you think about tampons or speculins, they assume that same space. And we have, as a culture, this kind of almost this valuing of a tight vagina, right? And we see tight vaginas as a really good thing, and that's mostly based around sexual function. So if your vagina is tight, then you've got a good sexual function and the person you're having sex with is is going to enjoy it more. And a lot of it is based around men's pleasure. And then there is this belief that if your vagina is loose, then you've slept with a lot of people and there's been a lot of penises in your vagina because you have to have multiple penises to make that vagina loose. And it's just not true. And I think it's really damaging because what it does is it puts all the focus on having this space tight. And it's the same with pelvic floor, with the messages around pelvic floor. There's the whole memes that go around. I want my pelvic floor as strong as my coffee. And I always shrivel up at those memes because we don't just want to value strength. Strength is an important component of muscle function, but we want balance. Balance means that the muscle will contract it will when it's needed. It will lengthen when it's needed, but the coordination is the key. We want it to work with us and we don't want to work against it. And so people think that a tight muscle is a strong muscle. It's not. A tight muscle is a restricted muscle. It is unable to fully move through its whole range of movement and a tight muscle or restricted muscle is going to impact function. And we're seeing that and starting to understand that a lot more around the pelvis and pelvic floor health, especially. And so the vagina is this incredible structure that can expand and lengthen and contract and will change shape really. And so the vagina is many different shapes, but in birth, it becomes the size of your baby's head shape. It becomes the size, I've just got all my 600 pelvises here that I need to pick up. It becomes the shape of our pelvis, which is perfectly baby shaped. Um, It's baby head shaped. And I always look at the head and the pelvis together. It's like, oh, it was like it was designed for the baby to come out. And it's like, of course it was. So the baby enters the pelvis transverse and then it rotates around. Now, most people I hear from postpartum, so I will do work with people postpartum to reconnect them with their vulvas. And then I do internal release work in pregnancy and postpartum. But typically what I hear from people postpartum is I don't have a reference point. I never really got acquainted with my vulva 
before I had my baby, or they may have looked at it in pregnancy. And often we get quite scared of our vulvas in pregnancy because in pregnancy, they're so engorged. Like I remember looking at my vagina or my vulva, see, we always still using the word vagina. I looked at my vulva when I was pregnant and I was like, who gave me my mum's vulva? Like it just, it looked like my mum's all of a sudden, it wasn't mine anymore. And that's because they are quite engorged. And so again, that's not really a reference point for preconception. I think the other important thing to know here is just like our face changes, like my face does not look the same as it did when I was a newborn or a baby or a child or a teenager or even in my 20s, all our body changes and our bodies hold our stories and our experiences and that will be the, the case for our bellies as well as our vulvas and our anuses and often other parts of our body, our breasts as well. So much changes, your pigmentation, our feet change in pregnancy, our rib cage changes, like everything transforms physically and mentally during birth. It has to, we have to transform to move into that, to go through that rite of passage into motherhood. And so a lot of people say, I, I don't have a reference point, And so I don't know what it looked like before, or I don't know what it's meant to look like. And when I do that with inverted commas, because what it's meant to look like is what it looks like, unless it's unwell, right? And so we often talk about getting to know your space to be able to ensure it heals properly. So looking out for signs of infection is really important in postpartum and being aware of those and seeking treatment if that happens. The other reason I think it's really important is often now birth has really become this checklist and we see birth as, and leading up to birth, as this time to tick all the boxes. Birth isn't a checklist, it's a process and it's a process that needs to be trusted. It's also a process that is deeply reliant on connection. And so what I see with birth preparation is I have to go to the physio or the osteo. I have to do the birth classes. I have to pack the birth bag. I have to do all this kind of prep. And I do a lot of one-on-one birth debriefs. And often what comes from that is, well, I did all the prep and I still didn't get the birth I want. And that is reality often, especially in today's maternity care system. But what I think is lacking is the ability to connect with this incredible space, right? So if I say to you, how connected do you feel to your body? How often have you connected to your womb or your vagina or your cervix? Oh, yeah. And people will think, well, that's really, but there is so much more to us than our prefrontal cortex. And when we do all the birth prepping, and I'm not saying that stuff isn't important because it is, and it's, it is really important, especially because we've moved birth out of the environment and culture where the knowledge was held and physiolo physiology was respected into a place of pathophysiology, into a system that cares for sickness and disease. So there is a lot that I do value and really advocate for in preparing for birth. And I do think it's important to have education and to see people around body alignment and body work. I do think that's important and I do think it's necessary, especially because of the way we use our bodies in modern society. We're not using them how we used to. And so they're... So B, for the woman that has never really connected with her body before, is either thinking about falling pregnant or maybe is pregnant now and starting to dive into the birth prep and birth education side of things, where would you start someone with getting to know themselves, getting to know their vulvas, getting to know their womb and all of that. Like, do you have any steps or like easy things that a listener could take away today to get started, especially if they might be a bit timid or unsure or lacking confidence? Yeah. So I often walk people through like some guided meditation for it where you don't have to touch or look 
And so you can just lay there and start to breathe and really connect into your breath first and then drop yourself down into your body and just see, what does it feel like? Can I connect to my womb? Does it feel locked? Does it feel disconnected? Or is it really warm and inviting? And I I run people through this. You can connect with your womb. You can do the same with your cervix, with your vagina, with your ovaries. And if you don't own any of these parts anymore, you can connect in with the space. And so it's often about just actually pausing and taking a moment and really stepping away from the prefrontal cortex because there is so much more to us than just our thoughts and dropping down into the body. And I remember first hearing this kind of language and being like, well, what does it mean? And it means stop thinking and start feeling, right? And so really, actually, you might want to place your hands on your lower belly and go, okay, what's here for me? And you might want to ask it, all right, womb, if you, especially if you need to be in the thoughts a little bit more, okay, womb, I'm trying to connect with you and you speak to it like it's this person. What do you need to tell me? What do you need to speak? What do I need to hear? Like I talk to my womb every day. I drop in and I'm like, all right, what do I need to hear? And sometimes she's like, you're exhausted. I'm like, I am exhausted. Yes. It's almost like this. It's the body. We highly value the thoughts and we fail to recognize the intelligence of the body and we fail to recognize the importance of the body. And in birth, it's the body, it's feelings and the body. And, you know, what often stops us is the prefrontal cortex. It's the thoughts. The body's capability is often unmeasurable. It's incredibly infinite, but the thoughts is what constricts us. And I've seen that over and over again. I started studying sports psychology and I often think it's fascinating because I've really done a full 360. I mean, midwifery, true midwifery is almost like sports psychology, really. It's that whole understanding of how the brain and the body connect and that will be the difference. I mean, you look about, like, look at incredible athletes like Muhammad Ali and how he would suck somebody out. They may be physically better than him, but mentally he had that confidence. Nothing beats that when you're set in your body. And so it's about letting your body speak and listening to it. And we've really lost that in our society. We've lost so much connection to each other. You think about how we used to live in tribes and community we've lost that connection and then we've even lost that connection in our nuclear home you think about the amount of people that just sit down after the kids are in bed and they're on their phone we've lost connection with each other but we've deeply lost connection with self and we are so we just live in the future moments that we worry about and i'm not i'm this is me too this is all of this if you're like agreeing with this and you're feeling guilt over it please don't you're allowed to put the guilt down But if you want to start dropping in, you've really just got to experiment and play with it. And for so many of us, it's a new language and new languages always feel, or new skills always feel scary. And I can't go there again. It's a limitation of your mind. So you can really just close your eyes before you're going to sleep, put your hands on your little belly and be like, okay, I'm going to do this. All right. It feels a bit weird, but go on, womb. What do you need to tell me? And sometimes there'll be nothing. Because maybe we have shamed that body space for so long. And I see this so often. When we start to bleed, you think about the stories that surrounded your bleeding time. How were you taught about bleeding? What did it look like in school when you bled? That typical year nine PE class where you've got your period and you don't want to play soccer that day because it's 40 degrees and it's hot and you just don't feel like it and you get told to suck it up. 
right? I have so many women that have so many stories around being, they were the first ones to bleed in primary school and there were no bins and all of that comes mm-hmm. around it. So much of bleeding is shame. I remember bleeding and being like saying to my mum, please don't tell my dad. Like for some reason, I didn't want dad to know that his little girl was now bleeding. There is so much story that this space holds. And often what we do when there's shame is we disconnect and we go, well, if I ignore it, it won't be there. And so for many years, the way we talk to our pelvis is, oh, you're bleeding again. You're, this is such an inconvenience. Oh, I hate this time. Oh. I'm just going to try and get rid of it. I'm going to keep taking the pill so I don't bleed and I can do things. And and then there's all of the stories around intimacy and exploring our bodies and what sex means. And is it just around the other person's pleasure and all your stories around sexual education? Like for me, it was like, if you have sex, you'll get pregnant the first time and you'll get an STI. Like that's what I remember around sex education, right? Rather than all this talk about sexual pleasure and what actually is consent in that area. Like it, we just didn't get that. And I know everyone at the time was doing the best they could and we're, we're doing even better. But there are stories. That's the story the pelvis holds. And so for many years, it's don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, don't bleed. You're an inconvenience. This is so annoying. Oh, there's hair growing on and I've got to get rid of it. And it's got to look this way. And my vulva is ugly. And there's all this shame. And then one day it's like, get pregnant. Well, why aren't you getting pregnant? Why haven't you gotten pregnant yet? Oh, like you don't work. You're not good. You're failing. We hold so much of that rather than honoring this space, respecting to it, respecting it listening to it and then even in postpartum the whole message is around bouncing back none of it honors what this space goes through and so if what I find is so many women have so much story in this space and so mm-hmm. often because we always work from a state of protection as my awesome colleague Lael always says we will disconnect and disassociate like you think about a pap smear right no one lays on that or now cervical screening test as they're called no one lays there and no one's cervix goes, oh, goody, give me that brush. Like we typically come out of our bodies, we pull away. And a lot of that happens in birth too. And so then we're left with this space that we want to heal. And I always say healing requires connection. The connection mm-hmm. requires compassion. And that yeah. has to be here. Compassion yeah. for what our body has been through. Compassion for what mm-hmm. it has sustained and endured. And compassion for the stories that it holds. Like, I mean, it just, it, it fills me with tears because so many women have so many stories and they never get the chance to have this heard. And it will often mm. come up at birth and it may not be conscious, but it will be subconscious. And so it's mm. incredibly important that we start mm. to honour and love and respect this space because if we're not going to, nobody else would. If I spoke yeah. to you like I was like, oh, Laura, you're a piece of shit. You're no good. You can't do anything. And then I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. can you just do this really big favor for me? You're going to be like, no, go away. Right. Yeah. I hear that. I hear that so much because I speak a lot about the stories I had around my pelvis after two cesarean sections and they only really came to the forefront of my mind when I started to reconnect with my body and my intuition or whatever you want to call it, self. The stories were, yeah, if you spoke to a friend, they were pretty harsh. They were, what's wrong with you? Why don't you work? Why are you broken? Everybody else seems to work, but you don't do what you need to do. And your cervix, I had a lot of stories around my cervix doesn't work. It doesn't open. It's like stubborn, really interesting language around how my body worked. And you got me to do that exercise in the workshop I did with you a couple of weeks ago, where you speak to your womb and your cervix and 
I like, I'm pretty weird. Even I was like, okay, this is odd, but I'm going to try it. And it was so fascinating to me because I had like this full comedy show, like animated characters speaking back to me, which again, sounds really trippy. I totally get it, but try it and see what comes back to you. And, And essentially my cervix came back with, you just don't understand. You didn't understand me. And I had so much compassion for that. I was like, no, I didn't understand you. I did not understand what your function was, what you were here to do. And again, I know this sounds trippy to a lot of people to be like, what, you're talking to a body part, but I implore you to try it. Just have a go, see how it feels, because I agree with B that there is a lot of wisdom there and it's a space that we're often really disconnected from. And I'm just thinking from a postpartum point of view, I think if you can connect with your pelvis, appreciate your body and appreciate your pelvis and all the ins and outs of it and what it does for you, I then think you respect it so much more. And I think postpartum healing would look so different if we truly could honor ourselves and respect our bodies for what they have been through. But again, it's not only just having this conversation, it's having this education. So I'm really glad that we got to speak to this because I know this is going to be really powerful for a lot of women to connect in with. So B, I want to go. Did you have something to say? Yeah, I was just going to add because often the acknowledgement and the honor isn't easy to get to when there are other feelings sitting there. And so what I often see with birth debriefs is that there are feelings of failure around conception, pregnancy, birth. We typically, because we are trained to be good girls, we typically hold a lot of story around failure. And so if something, if we don't get what we want, and as a kid, if you don't get what you want, you're told to just suck it up because there's kids starving in Africa. So you're fine. And what Hmm. that teaches us is to, to just brush away when we don't get what we want, but to also look internally, like when you fall over as a child, someone says, see, that's because you were being silly. And so we have this narrative that when we don't get what we want or something doesn't go our way, it's our fault. And so that brings up those feelings of failure. And so I just want to say, yeah, it's the acknowledging and the accepting and the love often is really hard to get to if you don't allow yourself to feel what you need to feel first. And when I mm. see feelings of failure, it is often a mask for feelings of actually sadness and disappointment. It is really hard to not get what you want. And I don't think we acknowledge that a lot in our culture. We're like, oh, well, suck it up. Somebody else has got it worse. And with birth, it's mm. typically, well, your baby's alive, so you should just be happy. And yeah. often that's not the case. There are big feelings around disappointment that you didn't get the birth that you want or sadness and frustration or anger, powerlessness, all those feelings. And they are so valid. They're allowed to be there. And often the compassion mm. won't come and the appreciation won't come until you felt that first. So I just want to offer that to people. And yeah, I really, I would like to ditch the calling it woo. I really would. Cause I do that and I do that to be able to relate to people because most of us don't know how to do it. And we would think that it's a bit out there, but I really think it's been a part of humans. Humans have been able to connect to their body for thousands of years. I think it's just culturally right now not seen as a common thing to do. I agree with that. I think it's the relatability because I find the same thing. Sometimes I think, why do I preface things with, oh, this is a bit spiritual or this is a bit hippie. And then I think... We're mainstream. Correct. We want to mainstream. You've got to be able to speak to a lot of people. And the reality, most of us are not very spiritual beings because we see spirit, often we see spirituality as strict religion. And I was raised in a very strict Catholic house and I, I now want nothing to do with that for many reasons. And so, and that was my only option to be spiritual growing up was to be really religious. 
And we're not culturally, we're not very spiritual in Australia mm. if we're from typically Western cultures. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Mars, I really hope you love that chat and that you are sitting there right now really feeling connected to your body, really leaning into your anatomy around the pelvis and where everything is. Maybe it was news to you today that that the anatomy is what it is. Maybe that's the first time you've ever heard anybody speak about it and describe it. And maybe it's not. Maybe you're already clued up in all of this, but it was just a really good refresher. Wherever you sit on all of this, I really hope that you got a lot out of today's episode. I know when I saw B hold up the clitoris model, I was truly surprised, to be honest. I hadn't really seen it the way she showed it before, and it made so much sense how big it was and how it functions so similar to male erectile tissue, but we don't often have a very good understanding of the female erectile tissue, and I just think it's so cool to be in touch with this. And I know I'm going to be teaching my daughters a very different understanding of their body as they grow up very different to the understanding I had growing up and so I would so love to hear from you over on my socials at physio Laura please let me know what you got out of today's episode and let me know where you're at in your journey of understanding your body have you always known this did someone teach this to you growing up did you have a different sex education or anatomy education than majority of women I know Or is this something that you're just coming to in adulthood? Did someone tell you when you were pregnant or are you just finding out for the first time on this podcast? I'd love to know where you're at in your journey of understanding your body, your clitoris, your labia, your vulva, your vagina, all of the pelvic organs and anatomy and bits and pieces. I would so love to hear where you're at. And if you loved B, which I'm sure you did, she's an amazing, amazing like speaker and wise woman in this space when it comes to birth and preparation and postpartum and motherhood she speaks to so many beautiful topics you can connect with her over at core and flora store definitely go check out everything that she offers she's a real wealth of knowledge and please stay tuned subscribe to the pregnancy with physio laura podcast because we have two more amazing episodes coming up in this pelvic power podcast series where we're going to be talking about how to move your pelvis better we talk a lot about not sitting And I'll give you lots of different examples in that conversation about how you can move your pelvis better so that you're not getting stiff and sore and out of balance. And we also are going to chat about the pelvic floor muscles specifically and whether we should be strengthening them all the time or whether we should maybe back off a little bit and focus on something else. So definitely stay tuned for that. I hope wherever you are today, you are connecting in with your womb and maybe seeing what your body is trying to tell you and reconnecting inwards rather than listening to all the noise outside. I'll see you soon, mamas.